Welcome to Sister Scriptorians, where we are devoted to learning, likening, and lifting others one principle at a time. Episode 82, Deceptions and Distractions, Part 2. Hello! Happy Thanksgiving week! Can you believe it? I'm looking outside my window and it is snowing and it's sticking and I think it's supposed to snow all week. And my family and I, we are packing up. We're going to go to California for Thanksgiving thinking we were going to get some sunshine, but oh no, (laughs) they're supposed to have rain. But this is awesome. It'll be so much fun. I haven't been to a Thanksgiving with my family for years, like so many years. I'm embarrassed to say how many. So it's going to be fun. And I wish you a happy Thanksgiving. I hope all yours goes well too. Last week on Friday, I released a bonus episode about the Sister Scriptorians coaching. If this is something you're interested in, go and check out that bonus episode. Basically, in a nutshell, It is working with me one-on-one about how we can implement gospel principles that we're learning here from the scriptures, specifically about God's characteristics, and then learning how those can be implemented into our daily life, how that we can replace the natural man tendencies that rise up within us, that cause us a lot of pain like anger and jealousy or fear, learning how to be able to slow those down a little bit while we choose to replace them with ways in which we know our Heavenly Father would have us learn how to do. Listen to that episode. See if it's something you're interested in. Email me at sisterscriptorians at yahoo.com. I would love to hear from you. If you have questions or if you want to meet me before you make a commitment, schedule a free mini session with me so that you can ask me those questions and you can see if this is something that would work for you. That is not a problem. In fact, I encourage you to do it. So contact me. Okay, last week we discussed what priestcrafts are and what their true intentions are. They are to set themselves up for a light unto the world that they may get gain and praise of the world, but they seek not the welfare of Zion. This week, we're going to dig into the deceptions and the distractions that get in our way of being a true disciple of Jesus Christ. And one of the strategies that I have found useful is the principle of opposition in all things. So as we read about what Nephi is warning us about, to look for what would the opposite, what would God have us believe, and what must be removed in order for us to be deceived. For example, priestcraft is Satan's counterfeit plan. It is the opposite to the Lord's priesthood. So we're going to begin in 2 Nephi chapter 28. And, and Nephi prophesizes that in the last days, churches will be built up, many, but not unto the Lord. They will say, I am the Lord's. But these churches will contend with one another and they will teach with their own learning and not with the power of the Holy Ghost. Warning. We know that one of the roles of the Holy Ghost is to testify of Jesus Christ. And if he is not present, those teachings about him will not be able to change us in the ways that they need to. Like the fruits of the Spirit that we all crave like love and joy and peace and patience, 
kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and temperance. Those are all the ingredients that we need in order to be able to put off the natural man and choose Jesus Christ, or to be able to endure the tribulation of this world and to look forward to Jesus Christ. They are what we crave, so to deny the Holy Ghost or to not have him present would eliminate this fruit that he brings to us, and then what would be left? It's the Holy Ghost that can affect us more deeply and effectively than any fancy orator with his fancy words and abilities to teach. The Holy Ghost can come in very simple ways. And the simplest way that I can understand the impact of teaching gospel principles without the Spirit present is to only teach to our carnal, to what we can see and what we can prove. So therefore, teaching to our intellect and to our logic. And I can only see this as feeding our pride, something that Nephi warns the Gentiles will be full of. Nephi says that these churches will deny the power of God while teaching the people to hearken unto us and hear ye our precepts. Their precept is to teach that there is no God today. For the Lord and the Redeemer hath done his work, and he hath given his power unto men. They will also teach their precept that if there is a miracle wrought by the hand of the Lord, believe it not. For this day he is not a God of miracles, he hath done his work. Hmm. These two precepts, when you consider what they teach, pave the way for the adversary to be able to rise up. When you remove God, there is room for Lucifer to step in. And this is easily done when one can believe that the Lord would have no business in our affairs or our institutions. If we could be convinced that it would be useless to seek after his power because he has given it away. And if this is the case, then God would be a stagnant God, bored and uninterested in our daily affairs. Or he would be powerless to make an impact in our lives in any significant way. In this scenario... If we believed this precept of man, it would be man that would become powerful. It would be man that we would need to please and worship and follow and mold ourselves to become like. In order to obtain our liberties or to improve our lives, we would fall for the deception that God does not have a place in our schools in our governments, in our businesses, that our families are too busy for him because we're too busy improving ourselves to become powerful. And if we believe that God's miracles were done, then what need would we have to petition God to work a miracle in our life? Like the miracle of deliverance, the miracle of forgiveness, the miracle of strength or the capacity to meet our challenges and not to be overcome by the world. If God's miracles were done with the crucifixion, then that would leave a vast amount of children without him. No wonder we Gentiles would be at risk of having our pride grow. We'd become scrappier in meeting our own needs and protecting what we have so that others can't take it away from us. Because we would be living in scarcity, and scarcity is a cause of most of our carnal actions that are hurtful towards others and our fellow men. And though faith is not, I don't know, I don't find faith to be a relaxing word. It does bring ease to our souls. 
to have faith that the Lord will provide. The Lord will see us through and that through Jesus Christ, all things will work out for our good. When I believe those thoughts and when the Holy Ghost testifies to me of their truth, I can be at ease. No wonder God teaches of gratitude. Because gratitude in our abundance from God increases our joy. It opens our eyes to his workings and provides the evidence we need to fuel our faith because he is a God of miracles. Another deception to keep in mind is if these mistruths are believed that there is no God, that he doesn't have power, that he doesn't intervene in our lives and do miracles, then it would be easy for God's children to be deceived into believing that there is no devil. Think about it. We would believe he has no influence and the devil's ways would have no influence in our lives. In fact, this would eliminate truth and error, right and wrong. How tricky the adversary is. He knows that he can make great strides in fooling people to believe that he doesn't exist, that there is no battle between the opposing forces. Look the other way. Disbelieve. If you eliminate one opposing force, it will then blind you to the damage that the other force can be doing. So hopefully you can see now how many shall say, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die and it shall be well with us. Where there is no God, there is no devil. Where there is no right, there is no wrong. We are only carnal beings indulging in our basic uncontrolled desires and then succumbing to death with no thought of becoming better or sacrificing immediate pleasures for future blessings. No refinement, no evolvement. There will also be many, Nephi says, who will say, eat, drink, and be merry, but fear God. They will teach that he will justify or understand or permit us in committing a little sin. Here, we're acknowledging that there is a God, but denying that he should have any influence over our daily decisions. If we believed he is without power and works no miracles in our lives, how could we be enticed to not eat, drink, and be merry? So then, we can lie a little. Take advantage of one because of his words and dig a pit for our neighbors. All of these would be acceptable in order to further our agenda and obtain our selfish motives. So deceiving others to have our needs met, gossiping and fault finding in order to lift ourselves up in pride and feel superior towards others would be acceptable or at least tolerated with very little guilt. Working under this belief, we wouldn't feel compelled to repent when we set ourselves above others and take advantage of their weakness. We would just consider that a part of the game of life. It's where we get false beliefs such as nice guys finish last, winning isn't everything, it's the only thing, or win at all costs. These distractions and deceptions, it will be difficult for the meek. It will feel like the world and its ways are stacked against them. They are. And continually, we must draw ourselves unto the Lord and cleave unto his ways. 
It's why we need repentance. It's why we need to take the sacrament weekly and are instructed to read the word of God daily and to pray continually. We need him in a world where where the game is set up this way. And Nephi warns that even the humble followers of Christ are led in such a way by these deceptions that they will err because they are taught by the precepts of men. And by the way, despite all of this, the Lord still says, If the inhabitants of the earth shall repent of their wickedness and abominations, they shall not be destroyed. His atonement is more necessary than we currently realize. We need it so badly. And if we choose not to repent, then the devil will have us in his grasps and his chains we will be in. It's important to note that anger is the emotion that he stirs within us. Anger is a very uncomfortable emotion for me. What about you? I know when I feel it, I feel trapped and I feel like I must enlarge myself either in tone or volume or threat or the amount of words that I use to express myself in order to be acknowledged in that moment. It's awful and it's so wounding. I feel wounded when I'm angry, and then I wound others when I act out in anger. Anger is not of God, and I must remind myself of that in order to reject the anger that swells up in me because I'm human. Because even though anger might be big and it might appear powerful, I actually experience it when I am at my weakest. I feel entrapped, I feel threatened, and I feel desperate. And that is what the devil stirs up within us. Another tactic of the devil is found in verse 21, that he will pacify others and lull them away into carnal security. To me, this means acceptance of our carnal instincts and our appetites and us not striving to overcome them, not feeling a need to. What a distraction for a disciple of Jesus Christ to not be compelled to stretch to meet the Lord's standards, to accept something less instead of the more that is being offered later on. It's the belief, Nephi says, that all is well in Zion. Zion prospereth, all is well. I can see in my life how this temptation of the devil surfaces when I postpone scripture study with my family. All is well. They are fine for now. Or not reaching out to those that I need to minister to. All is well in Zion. Zion prospereth. They look fine. Or when I withhold an apology because the offended party looks like they're fine. They're dealing with it. Or passing up the opportunity to serve because, well, others can. All is well. Nephi warns us that the devil is cheating our souls with this false belief. And I can see it in my examples that I shared for you. I cheat my family from enjoying the power that comes from the word of God and the preparation that their hearts need in order to avoid the precepts of men, in order to avoid being affected by them. I cheat myself from the opportunity to love those I minister and to lift them as the Savior needs me to do in his name. I've covenanted to do that, and I cheat myself out of the opportunity 
to keep that covenant. I cheat my soul from the healing balm that a sincere apology can give both to the wounded and to the one who misstepped. Apologies, they can clean us through the atonement and can help take off the chains of false beliefs we develop about ourselves because of the hurt that we experience. And I also cheat myself from keeping my covenants of sacrifice, of time and substance. I miss out on the opportunity to fine-tune a skill and develop a talent or just experience the spirit that comes when I choose to serve. And little by little, when I pass up these opportunities, I am then led away from where I desire to be. These we might classify as little distractions. But over time, they compound, don't they? And I believe that the compound effect of these quote-unquote little things can have similar effects upon us over time as serious sin does. Bishop Richard C. Edgeley taught, Among other things Satan would have us put in our bags is immorality in all of its forms, including pornography, language, dress, and behavior. But such evil deeds brings emotional distress, loss of spirituality, loss of self-respect, lost opportunity for a mission or temple marriage, and sometimes even an unwanted pregnancy. Satan would enslave us by having us put drugs, alcohol, tobacco, and other addictive behaviors into our bags. What I would have you pay attention to is the chains that we experience, not only of these struggles, such as pornography and breaking the law of chastity and addiction, but I see these chains put upon us whenever we live below our potential. And they are the emotional distress, the loss of spirituality, the loss of self-respect, and the loss of the better opportunity we prevented ourselves from seizing. Satan is the father of misery. He will flatter us and he will tell us there is no hell. And he will even tell us that there is no devil. Nephi ends with some woes. And when I see woes, I think, oh, I better pay attention. His woes are a recap, really, of what he's already discussed with us. Woe to him that is at ease in Zion. Sister Scriptorians always keep striving. Don't give up or become discouraged. Just keep taking those little steps. Woe to him that cries, all is well. Sister Scriptorians, look around you. All is not well. There are others to lift. There are families to be fortified. Keep looking and you will find people in Zion who need you. Stay alert because the precepts of men are having an effect on so many around us. Woe to him that hearkens unto the precepts of men and denies the power of God and the Holy Ghost. Sister Scriptorians, make studying the Word of God an everyday practice to clean off the precepts of men. Don't allow them to stick to you. We might need to be in this carnal world that denies the characteristics of God, but we do not need to become like it. Woe unto them that tremble and are angry because of the truth of God. Sister Scriptorians, please do not be deceived. Don't be deceived into thinking that there are not people out there who have been deceived 
and who are angry. They, because of their thoughts, feelings, and actions, no longer feel belonging in the truth of God. And they're angry. The devil stirs them up to be so. Beware of their anger and the anger that rises up in you. Next week, we'll begin with the woe that is found in verse 29. I think that fits really nicely into 2 Nephi chapter 29 that we'll discuss next week. But the final woe of chapter 28 is found in verse 32. Woe unto the Gentiles. I perceive that the Lord is warning us against all the pride and the deceit that the precepts of men have blinded us with, that we've allowed to affect us. But the Lord says, notwithstanding, I shall lengthen out my arm unto them from day to day. They will deny me. Nevertheless, I will be merciful unto them, saith the Lord God, if they will repent and come unto me. For mine arm is lengthened out all the day long. I love my Savior, Jesus Christ. I love the mercy that He shows each one of us when we stumble and don't live up to his standard. He's not condemning. He's encouraging. And and there, he's ready to steady us as we take our sloppy steps back to him. I'm grateful for the testimony that I have of him, that the Holy Ghost bears witness of him to me. I'm thankful for the Book of Mormon that teaches me to be wise and to seek after truth. I'm thankful for the atonement of Jesus Christ that is the method of shaking off the chains of emotional distress, loss of self-respect, and loss of spirituality so that these chains, they don't need to be the ending to my story. My ending will be that I will one day come unto him as I continue to accept his outstretched hand today. Sister Scriptorians, now that you are more wise in the false teachings of men and the tactics of the devil, do better. Shake off anger. Shake off complacency. Recognize that your emotional distress, loss of self-respect, and loss of spirituality are the chains of the devil. And take steps towards the outstretched hand of the Lord. Make it a great day.